morning, everybody. I am happy to be with you all this weekend before Christmas. To me, it doesn't feel super Christmassy. It's super warm and not snowy, but I'll take it. That's okay. My name is Andrea DeCook. Uh, I work here at Orchard as the director of BASIC, our college and young adult ministry. Um, I'm married to Ken, who works at our Waverly campus, so I'm either there every Sunday or here every Sunday. So between the two, uh, I have developed a lot of relationships with you guys, and that makes me super happy. Um, this time of year, one of my favorite questions for people is what their favorite part of Christmas is. Because everyone has a different answer, right? Maybe it's a movie that they like to watch, or a game to play, traditions, putting up the Christmas tree. Some love getting to see their grandchildren. I bet there are kids and maybe adults in here whose favorite part is presents. I would argue that the best part of Christmas is the anticipation. It's the leading up to that I enjoy the most. The decorating and the diligence of picking out just the right present and the wonder of what could be waiting under that tree. The anticipation of family arriving and car rides across city lines in the dark while hopefully snow will be glistening. I love the excitement I see in my nieces and nephew as they put on their best Christmas jammies and get their hot chocolate and gather around the TV to watch the Polar Express. It's the anticipation, the excitement and hope for what is to come where I find the most joy. And I've been pondering this concept lately, wondering why. Why is anticipation so fun and exhilarating? And I think the answer is it's fun because I know what to expect. I know what is coming. I'm able to lean in to the buildup and the weight of the holiday because I know exactly what's going to happen when it arrives. And I know at the end of all that waiting is most likely something good and fun and worth waiting for. This kind of knowing, knowing of what is to come, is exactly what makes anticipation different from anxiety. Maybe the anxiety leading up to a doctor's visit or an uncomfortable conversation when the outcome is going to be unknown. We can enjoy the moments leading up to an event if we know exactly what is going to happen. Because as soon as we no longer know what to expect, the exciting anticipation leaves and anxiety and sometimes fear starts to creep in. And as Christians, this is what we are called to be. We are called to wait in the unknown. This Advent season, uh, Dave talked with us about waiting for Jesus to show up in our ordinary lives, and Doug talked about uh, recalling the weight of the Israelites before Christ was born. And this morning, we're going to talk about the weight for Jesus to come again. But I don't mean that in the bunker down, become a doomsday prepper, stockpile toilet paper and canned goods kind of way. When I say we're waiting for Christ to come again, I mean it in the real, none of this makes sense, the world feels broken, my family won't stop fighting, my boss is mean kind of way. It's the kind of waiting we do when our best friend just experienced a loss and we don't have the right words to say, so we just sit with them. Or the kind of waiting we do when we've been up all night with a baby crying with a fever and it feels like you're feeling as a parent just waiting for that sun to come up. We are waiting for Jesus to come again and bring peace to all these pains and heartaches. 
Here's the thing, our entire Christian lives are lived in Advent, which is characterized by waiting. The moments in between what is promised to happen and when it actually does. Have you thought about that before? That right now, today, we are living in Advent, and not just because it's Christmas season, but because we follow Jesus. We live in the in-between of what Christ has already done for us and the work not being finished. And we see this every day. We turn on the news and see the pain caused by war in the Middle East, or we pull into the Hy-Vee parking lot and see a homeless man and his dog asking for money to help with food and a place to sleep, or we walk into our own homes and some of us hear fighting siblings or arguing parents or see bills stacked high in the counter in a fridge that still needs to be filled. We live in a world that is yet to be made fully new. We live in a world that awaits the return of Christ. So church, how do we lean into the exciting anticipation of Christ's return and ward off the anxiety of the unknown that we experience every day? We're gonna turn to a parable, a story that Jesus shared with his disciples in Matthew 25. He shares this story with them directly after saying that he's gonna die and come back. He shares with them that the Son of Man will come again when it's not expected. And then he shares this. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. He called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. It's kind of a weird story for us, right? Because we don't experience weddings in this way anymore. But at the time, the disciples who were listening to the story, they would have understood. It was tradition after an engagement for the bride and a groom to separate, each going to their parents' homes while they, wherever they would stay until all preparations were completed. Often, the separation was about a year long. Can you imagine the anticipation of the bride and groom reuniting? The excitement of seeing the one you love after being apart for a whole year. So, in this story, the bridesmaids got word that the groom is making his return. So they go out to wait for him so they can welcome him back with a celebration. And typically, the groom would arrive by dusk, but this time he was delayed and the bridesmaids fell asleep. When he finally arrived, the bridesmaids who brought extra oil were prepared to continue into the celebration, but those who ran out were too late to join the party. And then Jesus pulls us into this story. He tells us to keep watch 
because we don't know when he will return. And there are people who spend their lives trying to figure this out. They try to make meaning out of symbols and calendars, and they watch videos on YouTube trying to figure out exactly when Jesus will return. Does anyone else remember in 2012 when the world was supposed to end? I was in high school, about to graduate, and was so disappointed that I had to go to college, that it didn't actually end. So we do this time and time again, but we never actually know when he's gonna come back. Our job is not actually to try to predict. Our job is to be awake and to be watchful, to be prepared. And I know I don't wake up every day wondering if today will be the day that Christ comes back. In fact, I would say I go most of my lived days not thinking about it once. I just live my life. So what does keep watch mean for me? What do we do with this? First, it means that we need to show up. Instead of waiting with the bride for her groom, the bridesmaids, they were just excited to get that party started. They're ready to go out, greet the groom with bells and whistles. They're gonna line the path to the house, cheering him on as he reunited with his bride. And similarly, we can show up for Christ, but that doesn't mean that we need to line our streets or look out our windows waiting for him. Showing up for God means to just show up living Christ-like lives. Waiting for him often requires action from us. Instead of sitting quietly, watching the world go by around us while we wait, we are called to show up and participate. When I was younger, I would watch Oprah with my mom after school. I was probably the most devoted Oprah fan in all of elementary. Half the time, I had no clue what was going on. I just knew there was drama and I was there for it. The other half, I was waiting for the excitement of Oprah's Christmas giveaways where she'd give away all her favorite things. And somewhere in between, I vividly remember watching an episode about her leadership academy for girls in South Africa. I marveled at how there were girls my age that didn't get the opportunity to get quality education. I was fascinated at how there could be such a big disparity between me and them. I was also fascinated by Oprah's ability to build a boarding school to give hundreds of girls the type of education they deserved. I remember telling my mom, I want to do that. I want to help people like that. And so in response, my mom had me pick a tag off the Christmas tree at our church and took me shopping for a toy for a girl my age. And this wasn't really what I was picturing when I said I wanted to help out. I was picturing something bigger and more elaborate, something with immediate gratification. And I doubt I had words for it as an eight-year-old, but now I know that what I had to do was surrender. I just surrendered the hope I had in myself, the thought it, that it would be me who would fix all the systematic issues in our world. But I could still show up. I could show up, surrender the outcome, and do a small bit of kindness. And that was enough. Showing up in a world as messy as ours, one with racism and genocides and global warming and poverty and hunger and broken families and homelessness can feel pointless. What could I possibly contribute? What debt could I put in this mess? But showing up is how we can wait well because when we do, we're showing the world around us exactly what the hands and feet of Christ look like. 
When we show up, we're telling the world what to look for when he comes again. And this could look like anything from volunteering at the food bank or with Habitat for Humanity or just babysitting this kid for the single parent who lives next door to you. Maybe it's recycling more. Maybe it could be cleaning the kitchen before your spouse gets home because you know they're having a hard time and this would take something off their plate. Or taking a day off of work to sit with your grandparent and watch movies together just because they've been lonely. Maybe... At its most basic, yet most difficult, showing up looks like sitting across the table with a family member you've had strife with and finally saying, I forgive you, or I'm sorry, and surrendering what the outcome of that conversation is like. Showing up is an intentional choice you make to not ignore the hurt happening around us. We show up to give the world a glimpse of Jesus, even when we know that he's the only one who can bring redemption to the broken. Right now, for me, this looks like calling my mom once a week just to say hi and I love you while she's walking alongside her sister who was diagnosed with cancer. And I don't know what showing up looks like for you, but I know that we need to show up together. When we show up however we can, we are saying, this isn't it. This is not how the world is meant to be, and it won't stay this way. By showing up, we are able to get a glimpse of what it will look like when heaven and earth meets again. By showing up, we're whispering into the world, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So we show up, and we bring our oil with us. In the parable about the bridesmaids, it's very clear that there were two groups of people. There was the group who was prepared with oil that would sustain their weight, and there was the group who didn't bring enough and then missed the groom's return. And friends, this wait is long and weary, and showing up again and again takes energy and so much hope. And I don't want you to miss him. I don't want to miss him. I don't want my cynicism and hopelessness to get in the way of my ability to see Jesus coming. I don't want to be so focused on just surviving in a broken world that I don't show up for Jesus. So we need to bring our oil to fuel this weight for him. And here's the unfortunate truth about oil. It takes effort from us. The reality about being a Christian is that it's not a passive life. Our fuel comes from living an active Christian life. And active doesn't mean filling up your calendar with a bunch of activities and signing up for every group under the sun. When I say active, I mean tethering ourselves to the promises of Christ. Every time I teach, I talk about Jamaica, because it's where I learned most of my life lessons on mission trips there. And this time's no different. The first year I went on a mission trip to Jamaica, my group visited an infirmary for the elderly. Most of the residents there were either abandoned by their family members or dropped off for care by people who loved them but couldn't afford to take care of them on their own. Some of these residents were ill and others were healthy but just unable to care for themselves. Unfortunately, this place wasn't caring much for them either. Many of the rooms that housed the residents were dirty and unkept and they smelled and there were people laying in beds that looked like they'd been there for some time without any care. 
And there's a lack of employees to look after just how many people were, in, were residents there. And it was hard to fathom that people had to actually live in these conditions. It was heartbreaking. But through the despair, I was able to see just a glimmer of joy. There were a number of residents who sat outside in a circle of chairs around a shaded tree. And a couple other basic students sat on the ground at their feet and listened as they talked. And to be frank, I could not understand the majority of what they said because their accents were so thick. But then one lady, her name was Dolores, started singing and her words were as clear as day. She sang, he is coming, he is coming, indeed he is coming. And she clapped her hands and she sang her tune and she smiled. That song was her oil. The world around her was bleak. I'm not sure what her day-to-day -day looked like, if there's anything for her to look forward to or any bright spots in the life that she lived. But she did sing about Christ returning. And I believe that doing so took effort from her. She had to actively choose to remember God's promise and place her hope in his return. So she picked up her lantern and she sang. Our oil is the active choice of tethering ourselves to the promise of Christ and putting our hope in his return. For me, putting hope in the coming of Christ looks like praying with my husband before we go to sleep. When we've had a really hard day, or when our anxiety is just spiking through the roof, we'll read our favorite Bible verses out loud to each other. We take turns passing the Bible back and forth, saying God's word out loud because it reminds us of his character and how to look for him in the world. This also for me looks like reading liturgies, like every moment holy. When I don't have the words to say, reading prayers written by someone else helps me connect with God. When I'm overwhelmed by the world, these liturgies help me meditate on what I can control and what I need to surrender to him. Praying and liturgies are just two ways I'm able to fuel my weight. They are my oil. They help me to know who I'm looking for in this weight, to make Jesus' identity clear to me. What is your oil? What tethers you to Christ's promise? What is the fuel for your weight? Maybe whatever your oil is, however you sustain your faith and hope in Christ is a spiritual rhythm. Something you do regularly like praying or reading scripture, journaling or worshiping through music. Or even practices that are less frequent but just as vital to enriching your faith like meditation and fasting, working one-on-one -on -one with a spiritual director or just sitting down with a friend and a cup of coffee and some good words. And as we bring our oil, we create fuel together too. When we show up in this room on Sunday mornings or for students on Wednesday or Thursday nights, we are collectively adding oil to our lanterns. We're reminding each other of what Christ says and what his promises are. Our wait for Christ to come again is long and it can feel futile and hopeless, but these practices are what sustain us. They're what helps us remember exactly why we are waiting and they remind us to be in anticipation for his goodness. As we remember that we're always living in Advent, always living in the in-between of what Jesus did here on earth and his promise of coming again, we get to wait well. 
We get to show up and bring our oil. But I know there's some of you who are just exhausted and have no more energy and your lantern has been empty for some time. If that's you, if you've been having an extra hard time continuing to wait, if you've been in despair for a while and it just feels too long and too difficult, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't expect you to show up with a smile and in your fanciest clothes or with your best self. He wants you to bring that despair with you because he can handle it. My friend in Jamaica, she was surrounded by filth and hopelessness, yet she praised and looked ahead. Our weight can contain lament and grief and a supernatural hope that something better is coming. So you too, I urge you to find what sustains you while you are waiting. Church, we need to do the work. We need to bring the oil. Let's not miss his return. When you are weary, I urge you to seek out your fuel. Whether you need to be reminded of your place as a dearly beloved child of God or his promises to come again to gather all who are lost and broken and write, and write it in this world. Find the thing or things that keep you looking forward toward the glory of Christ. I want to live my Christian life in anticipation. When I turn on the news and see her, I want to take a moment to pray I want to see what I can realistically do to help. And then I want to surrender to Christ because I know he's coming again. And I want to live my life as if he's on this way in this very moment. And I want to bring my people with me. I don't want to be the sole bridesmaid on the road with my lantern and oil. I want it to be lined up miles long with those of us who put in the work to gather in his hope. The anticipation of Christmas is what I want all of my loved ones to feel when they think of Jesus returning. When we think of what else we have to look forward to, I want us to be excited for him to arrive and repair the broken and make the world whole. This Advent season is an opportunity for us to enter into the gospel story and fuel the hope of baby Jesus being born in the manger in Bethlehem. But it's also a yearly reminder that this is not the end. During Advent, we get to step into the anticipation of his return and we get to link arms fueling each other as we wait for him to enter the world once again. So let's show up together in this broken, messy world and let our lives be a whisper of Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for, um, for feelings, for getting to feel anticipation and excitement and fun and wonder. And Lord, I pray that as we um, go into this next week leading up to Christmas, that we just embrace, embrace the, the hope and that excitement, not only for Christmas and all the traditions we get to partake in together, but also for your return again. I pray that as we gather with our families and our friends and rejoice together this season, that we're also rejoicing that you are not done and that your work is not finished. God, we love you, and we need you. Amen.